Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we meet with Chris Chavez, the founder of Sidious Mag, the home for road running and track and field news and analysis. At the start of 2022, Chris made the decision to leave his longtime position as a writer at Sports Illustrated in order to go all in on Sidious Mag. Chris and I talk about building a running media company, his mission for Sidious Mag, and what the operation looks like. And given his perspective on the sport, we also spend quite a bit of time talking about the entertainment value of running, whether it can go mainstream, what it will take to increase the number of fans, and more. If you like the blending of running and business, running and media, or running and community, you will enjoy this episode. I do hope to have Chris on the pod again soon because we only covered about half the topics I had on tap for us. But without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, Chris. Chris Chavez, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Thanks for having me. For those that don't know you and your media company, could you give a brief overview of your background in running and what you do at Sidious Mag? Yeah, so I'm a very mediocre runner, so I won't dive too far deep into sort of my own sort of running experience, but uh, I do dabble. I mean, I think for me, like my whole life is just basically uh, if I'm not writing or talking about running on a podcast, then um, most likely out there running myself. Uh, I am the founder of Sidious Mag, uh, which is kind of uh, an emerging uh, track and field media company, I would say. Uh, I started this back in 2017, uh, just kind of as a place to uh, share some commentary, analysis, humor, basically try and be a little bit of the ringer of uh, track and field. And then from there, things kind of like grew. It started off as just kind of a couple a blog with, you know, uh, a couple friends of mine. And then quickly I you know, pivoted to podcasting and, you know, from there, just sort of uh, the variety of different shows that we've have across the city's Mac podcast network has grown over time. And then, um, you know, just we're, we're trying a lot of new fun things on uh, across social media, YouTube. And uh, so, yeah, we dabble in all different types of it. I think we're trying to uh, definitely become a hub where people uh, can get, you know, their the, the latest news. And then at the same time, uh, a little bit extra, just uh, some some analysis, some takes, uh, some personality, I think, behind covering the sports. So, uh, yeah, Sidious Mag's kind of grown over the last um, five years, which is crazy for me to think that it's been five years because during that, those early couple years, um, I balanced my full-time job with sports illustrated the entire time, uh, where I was a writer and editor, uh, for six and a half years. And so, uh, it was, it, 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 it was started off as a passion project and now it's my full-time job. And so, um, that's been, it's been really cool to see that evolution and definitely excited about where we're hopefully taking things. You mentioned there that you wanted to be the ringer, which is a great Bill Simmons reference. I'm a huge fan as well. When you started this back in 2017, did you see this as an opportunity just to break into the running media or were you building this because you saw something missing in the sport and you felt like you had the tools, the resources, uh, the desire to fill a gap? Yeah. So for me, it really started because in 2000. 16, I went to the Olympics with Sports Illustrated. And before that, 
I had already been pretty deep into the track and field media space. I'd been covering the sport for, I think, like four and a half years at that point. Um, because I started covering track when I started working with flow track back in 2012. And I spent two years there, did an internship with ESPN in 2014, and then kind of carried that over and still did some, some writing for them after my internship ended. Uh, so I was kind of like a contributor for them. And so, um, I was covering track and field, you know, from, you know, the high school, college professional level with, uh, flow track, and then focusing on the major marathons with ESPN. And then from there, just kind of, I took it upon myself to just try and bring as much mainstream sort of coverage when I got to Sports Illustrated in 2015 to track and field. And so I, that's where I remember sort of the, my career path from 2012, to 2016 was like caring and, and covering every single big like meet that was happening on weekends. So that would mean going out to, you know, the Florida relays or uh, the Stanford invitational and just kind of bopping around and, and like really caring about that stuff. And then when I got to sports illustrated in 16, you know, or 15, I really worked hard for a year, earned my spot on the SI Olympic team, got to go in 2016. And then I realized that the mainstream sports fan really doesn't pay as much attention to track, you know, in the years of 2017, 18, maybe 19. And then the next Olympics ramps back up again. So I didn't want to bug my editors with like, here's a 500 word story on the Florida relays, or here's a, you know, 1000 word profile on this runner in those first couple of years, because I just felt like I was going to be a nuisance. And in the grand scheme of things, uh, the traffic, which is something that they care a lot about, wasn't going to be really worth the time. And so part of me was like, I still personally care about the sport and those meets. So I need to, I guess, carve out my own space to make this happen, to be able to geek out and, and, and tell those stories. And so that's what kind of drove me to start Sidious Mag. And like, I knew, you know, FlowTrack exists with, you know, it's videos, it's a video heavy site and Let's Run is there, you know, where it's, you can get sort of the message board space to talk about things. And at the same yeah. time, there's links on the homepage for you to get as much news as you want. But I felt like there was, there was a part of it that was missing just sort of like the personality driven commentary about uh, what's happening. And so I enlisted kind of like the help of a couple friends of mine who I met over time and really just did kind of take that model. A lot of pages from Simmons's playbook where, you know, there's all these podcasts, but I think the part of it that is fascinating to me is that people tune into these shows and read certain articles because of the people who are behind it. Like it's a, if it's a Shea Serrano article, you're going to read it because you know, he's funny and he's got, you know, great sense of humor with his writing. And so I remember that when I was writing for Sports Illustrated, I could write this feature story, but and my name is only kind of tacked on to the byline. And it's very quickly people would scroll over it and get to the story. But with what I was able to kind of do with podcasts is people get a little bit more of that personality of mine, I think, just a little bit more of that personal flair and um, my sense of humor, I think, comes across better. And so uh, 
in that way, I think people were more connected to what I was doing or what uh, Paul Snyder was writing or, you know, just kind of we started to build up a little bit of those personalities. And I think we've still done a good job of that, where now we have this little ecosystem of, of people within the city's mag team, whether it's Dana Giordano or Kyle Merber, or David Melly, and like they can all offer up their opinions and, and takes and uh, at the same time, highlight different stories. And if you follow Sidious Mag and if you're a fan of it, you don't necessarily have to be a fan of me. Like you could you could dislike me if you want, but you could still <laughs> like Sidious Mag as a brand because you like Kyle or because you like Dana. So I think that's something that uh, really early on I had a vision for. And so far it's it's gone well. I want to talk about the podcast network in detail later in the show. Uh, I want to talk about this attention problem that running has and how you mentioned that in between the Olympic years, there's this massive drop off and it's just you, the fan that's trying to drive coverage to the sport. But first you mentioned that you were at sports illustrated for five or six years before you went all in on this. And I'm curious, was the work you were doing at sports illustrated close enough to the work you ultimately did at Sidious Mag or were these like, two totally different workspaces and it was hard to juggle. Uh, it, it was, it was a little bit different because my day-to-day job with sports illustrated was like, I actually, a lot of people don't even realize they just think of me as like the track and field guy at sports illustrated, but that wasn't really my, my full-time job there. I was, uh, one of the editors of the breaking news team. Uh, so anything that happened on a day-to-day basis, for example, like Tom Brady breaks his leg in the middle of a game, it was on me to kind of quarterback a team of writers. I think it was about 10, 10 writers at, uh, towards the end, but like at one point it was a little bit more than that. Um, and it'd be on me to, you know, kind of assign the story, edit it, and then send it back to the writer, writer then blast it out to the social media team. And it was kind of really fast paced, quick stuff where every day was interesting because we didn't really, I didn't really know what was uh, going to happen, you know, for the day or anything like that. So that was fun for me. Um, but, and at the same time, anything basically because I knew the sport best in that newsroom setting. Uh, if I had a story that I wanted to pitch about track and field or the marathons, I would just, you know, mention it to my editor, kind of always find a way to frame it for the mainstream sports fan. Because if I said, I just want to write about this runner, like that's not enough. It's sort of like what makes it interesting to the casual viewer who like finds track and field every so often or like a marathon. And so uh, that was always interesting because the the best part I think was that if I approached an athlete and said like, Hey, I want to write a sports illustrated story on you and like their eyes would just kind of open up and that'd be really cool. And so uh, you know, I think the big challenge towards the beginning was kind of deciphering, like how I'm going to separate these two hats that I'm wearing, because they are both very similar. And I think I came to an agreement with my boss there that basically if I was reporting anything new, um, like breaking a story or writing a feature profile that was going to go on at at sports Illustrated's website. Mm -hmm. And if it was more sort of like, just track nerdery stuff that again, to the point of like, it's only the people who are diehard fans who really care then run wild on Sidious mag. And so it was a really healthy balance. And I think over time, like I definitely got to, um, you know, balance those two really well, but it was definitely a common question. I got uh, a lot of the time over those 
six years, or I guess towards the tail end of those six years, it was just like, so wait, how do you juggle the two jobs? And, you know, it was a lot of, uh, you know, late nights too, because, you know, with Sports Illustrated being my full-time job from nine to five, uh, that took priority all the time. And I wouldn't really schedule podcast interviews until after later on in the day. Um, and so that meant just basically starting another workday from six to eight or six to 10 and, and then loading up the website with more content the next day. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was sleep was definitely a sacrifice, uh, for a lot of the time, but I would say totally worth it. Last question on the Sports Illustrated front before we talk about your decision to go all in on Sidious. And I'll preface this by saying, when I look at a lot of the media companies in my world, which is Mountain Ultra Trail Running, they were started by people with non-traditional backgrounds, like Brian Powell at I Run Far, I think was a lawyer before he started this. And I'm curious, because you have this journalistic background, are there any particular skills you picked up during that time at Sports Illustrated that you think really transferred neatly over to Sidious Magna? You're like grateful you have that sort of journalistic bent to you. That's an awesome question because I think Kyle Merber and I have like kind of been talking about this now that you know he and I are both like at the head of Sidious Mag, where basically I'm doing my best to take off the journalist hat now because really? I think the way I, I like operating Sidious Mag is basically being a fan of the sport and pushing forward like as many awesome stories as possible. Now, the part that comes in handy is that I have this, you know, a decade worth of professional, uh, you know, media experience. And so I know the X's and O's of like what works well with, you know, search engine optimization and writing, you know, stories and like uh, how to, you know, maximize things on social media. And so basically I'm using sort of that journalism media brain and combining it with Kyle's sort of athlete brain uh, where he spent 10 years kind of competing at the highest level of the sport. And for the both of us to come together now, just as track fans wanting to improve the media coverage, I think it's a, it's a great blend. And so we're basically trying to position ourselves as like big track and field fans who are just wanting to highlight, you know, the athlete stories and, and the storylines that make, you know, the sport great, whether, you know, in competition, out of competition. And so um, it's funny because, yeah, I mean, like, you know, with hosting a podcast, like it takes, you know, journalists, uh, journalism skills to be able to do it, you know, successfully. And so basically I am just taking that. And also, but I think for the most part, like, again, going back to Bill Simmons, he did spend time as, you know, a journalist, if you want to call it a columnist uh, for the longest time with ESPN and Yahoo Sports and, and and AOL. And and now he just sort of kicks back and talks with the people that he finds interesting and holds a conversation for an hour. And, and like maybe some people would throw him into like a journalist category, but I don't think he would either. And so kind of that's been sort of my career trajectory, I think now where it's like, yeah, I guess like I was a journalist for, you know, at Sports Illustrated for six and a half years. But now just consider me like a big track fan who, you know, is at the forefront of a media company. That's another great point about Bill Simmons. Like one day he'll be talking with Ryan Russillo. Yeah. The next day he'll be talking with some famous musician or author. Then he'll be just harping on the Celtics and the Red Sox and it, it can go anywhere. He has that total creative freedom. Um, all right, let's talk about going all in on Sidious Mag. Why now? And uh, what do you think, given that you have all this time freed up, what's it going to allow you to do from 
Let's start with the business standpoint. Yeah. So that's been the most interesting part to it is like, I know it's been, you know, we were, we were a company for the last, you know, five years, but then actually fleshing out this business side of things has definitely been interesting for me to uh, assume that business owner role full time. And that's, you know, getting Kyle Merber and Maxley like onboarded on, you know, a whole payroll system. And uh, it's, it's definitely the first month or so was like, man, this is a lot of work behind the scenes. And like, maybe some other places have teams for this, but um, I'm doing it myself. And uh, so that, that was definitely taking a little bit of like an adjustment, but for the most part, I am really excited because of how much time this frees up, like for me to be able to dedicate uh, my attention to, to, you know, covering track and field, because, you know, even as I think about it, like when I first started covering the sport, I was in college at Marquette balancing like a full, you know, slate of classes and then working for flow track, uh, maybe writing articles in the middle of class, like it doesn't like, but, and then spending my weekends, you know, traveling to meets. And then I was still in college when I was writing for ESPN. And then when I was at Sports Illustrated, that was my full-time job. But at the same time, Sidious Mag still wasn't. Um, and so like now this is finally the time I think I get to really dedicate, you know, my whole nine to five or eight to four or whatever it is, or even beyond that, because there's West Coast meets from time to time and things happening on weekends that, you know, it's not a traditional schedule, but uh, I am able to sort of you know, keep tabs on all the biggest things happening and, and manage a team of people who are ready, you know, to, to jump at, you know, creating some sort of piece of content to go along with, you know, a podcast or a breaking news story or a blog post. And so um, that's, that's been fun because, you know, I, I do feel like I do my best job to keep my finger at the pulse of whatever's happening. And, you know, I have a friend of mine who jokes that he's like, there's no, you know, sports center app for track and field, like where you can get like the latest, like news blast. He's like, not yet. yeah, not yet. And he's like, but he's like, I just turn on tweet notifications for you. And he's like, and because I don't really share as much of like my personal life or like my personal running stuff, like on my Twitter account. And he's like, it's basically like, a breaking news, like alert that comes on uh, my phone whenever I, you know, blast out a tweet. And so um, doing that and kind of flipping it to making Sidious Mag that place that people get, get their news or um, get a podcast conversation and like some original tidbit of, of storytelling. I think that's been sort of my vision and like, it's definitely, you know, it's, it is time, time consuming. I think the first day or two of January, when I was like, finally, like, Oh, this is my job. Like, I was like, what do I do today? But now it's like, sort of like, yeah, I've got, you know, two podcast recordings coming up and then like, you know, two or three calls with sponsors and sponsors definitely like, you know, come up and like stepped up and been like, Hey, we want to get involved. Like it's not, not necessarily in some cases, like we want to, you know, shell out this product. They're just like, we just want to get involved with what you guys are doing because it's cool and fun and, and, and different. And that's been, that's been the goal. And that's been helpful for us to, to also, um, you know, not, you know, worry about like, Hey, where's, you know, the next paycheck coming from. And so that's, that's been good. And, and as far as the timing, like I definitely gave it a lot of thought uh, because I could have, you know, held on to my job at sports illustrated. And, you know, sometimes I did think like, am I going to be one of those people who's here for like 10 plus years? And um, you know, I put in six and a half years there where it's like, that, that is a good chunk of time. And uh, you know, when you think about people working at, you know, some of these, traditional old school media places, like sometimes it's not that long. And, um, 
so I decided to make the jump because 2022 is such a big year for track and field here in America. Like the world championships coming up in July and, you know, there's so many meets happening in the United States nowadays. Like the sport has found a chance to, to boom here before this, you know, basically track and field Super Bowl outside of the Olympics comes to the United States for the first time. And so if our mission this year is to drive the awareness and build a hype for, you know, two weeks happening in July and Eugene, then like that's the mission for, for now. And then it's taking that momentum and everything that happens there and carrying it over uh, to next year. And then, and then beyond that, like the next Olympics is two years after that. And then you get to look forward to, Oh, the Olympics is happening on home soil in 28. So that's sort of like the longer term sort of vision. And, but for now, like it's all systems go on making Eugene, like the, the world championships in Eugene, like the biggest party track and fields ever seen. I like how strategically you think about the sport itself and not just your own business. You're like, okay, this is what's happening in 2022. Here's how we leverage that for the ensuing years. That's really cool. And I do want to talk about that in the second half because this whole thing in Eugene is going to be really cool to break down. A couple more business questions because this is how my mind works. And I love these types of questions. And I think there's a lot of people who are looking for answers in our own side of running. So um, how do you make money off this thing? Like you mentioned the sponsors. Are you trying to mostly generate revenue off of businesses like brands in our sport? Or are you trying to monetize individual users? Yeah, I mean, we definitely have got some solid backing like behind us. And that was like definitely part of uh, the reason why like I decided to make the jump. I was like, all right, I feel comfortable enough in us like presenting this thing to, to enough people to, you know, get behind us in this idea. And but aside from that, like, yeah, I mean, like the podcast has been been a big driver of uh, of revenue. And then in addition to that, like Kyle's lap count also, you know, brings in sponsors and partners. And uh, when we did our first sort of like post game show after the Millrose games, where we just went live on our YouTube channel um, and had these conversations with, you know, basically it was our thinking behind, before that was uh, we called it after the final lap. And which I basically spun from the bachelors after the final rose. And so uh, basically took that and made it a track and field version of it. And uh, for us, it was just like, let's, you know, if you get so excited over a football game or an NBA game or a baseball game, as soon as it's over, you kind of still have that itch for more commentary and more analysis. And so we're just like, I mean, track and field is broadcast like on NBC and stuff. And like it, and it's, as soon as it's over, if it's on CNBC, you get an episode of shark tank and we're like, all right, well, why don't we just take it upon ourselves to be that post game show and make it fun and entertaining. And because of Kyle's relationships with some of these athletes from his time as an athlete, and because I've covered the sport for the last like 10 years, I think these athletes and these coaches and these other personalities have like a different type of relationship with us than they do um, with just sort of like, you know, an NBC player or anything like that. And so uh, we kicked it and did this post game show uh, for about an hour and a half after the Milrose games. And from there, uh, you know, it was, it was a huge success. I would say where the reception to it was like people, thought it was funny. We got some good stories and, and, and out of, you know, people like Matthew Centrowitz and um, Ollie Hoare and, 
And then from there, we got a bunch of calls after that. We didn't think much of it. We just said, it was like, that was fun to do. Like, we'll do it again at some point. And then, you know, a bunch of calls from uh, different sponsors and, and, and events being like, can you come and do this, you know, at our race or our meet? And, you know, definitely like for uh, the Kyle's definitely on the more partnership side of things. And he works well with like a lot of uh, brands and, and sports marketing people so that, you know, we've kind of put together you know, packages on things where it's like, you'll get a couple episodes of podcasts, a couple of, you know, uh, newsletters and, um, you know, maybe we'll go out and do a post game show or we'll send Mac fleet out to film a workout or, or something like that. And so, uh, you know, it's funny because I, in some of these conversations where we have with sponsors, you know, they do, you know, some people off, uh, work off of like, how many impressions are we going to get from listening to this podcast? And we, we basically go back to the table and we're like, we're not just selling you on like, just the listen on the podcast. Like, I think there's a bigger exposure for us to be able to push out all this content across different platforms. And that's sort of how my brain thinks where it's like, Sidious Mag is not big enough to the point where we're producing like 50 things a day. Like we're basically producing two or three or four really quality things each day and just packaging it to go out on Twitter, Instagram, and, you know, maybe flip it into a podcast or blast it onto YouTube or promote it in Kyle's newsletter. And that's sort of how we just have taken and leveraged all our different followings and, and, and stuff and just push it out across, you know, it, basically aim to get it in front of someone's screen somehow, whether it's their phone, their laptop, um, or if they're, they're watching YouTube on TV, like we want to be in front of people somehow and, uh, or get, you know, basically get the sport in front of people in some way, shape or form. And so, uh, that's how it all kind of operates. And so, yeah, I mean, like money comes from sponsorships and partnerships and um but yeah it's it's exciting because during the pandemic there were people who froze a lot of their budgets because it was like well what's like there's no track and field there's no there's nothing happening and so you know i remember the city smag podcast went without a sponsor for a couple uh months and i was like you know i i could have easily just stopped doing the show but part of me just thought it was like well you know, I think it's important to keep this thing going. And so that way, like the momentum doesn't stop. And so I'm going to power through, like at that point, it was still a passion project. And, um, I, you know, the, my bills are still being paid by my salary at Sports Illustrated. So like, it was fine. And so, um, yeah, so it's it, it, like you kind of said, it's like looking ahead to what events are happening. How can we put ourselves there or um, find our way there to, to really hype it up and, and make it a big thing? So you mentioned the podcast network earlier, and you've mentioned this in bits and pieces in our conversation already, but what does the official setup look like at Sidious Mag? So you have the network, I'm guessing of a stable of writers, paint that picture for us. Yeah. So it's, we've got a good uh, set of contributors that are all on, you know, contracts where um, someone like a Dana Giordano or a David Melly uh, is basically contracted to do some blog posts and produce some podcasts for us. We do have some podcast producers that we've hired out. Um, and then in addition to that, some people, you know, do like to write every now and then, and we always offer up sort of the CSMAG blog as, as a place for people to, you know, riff. Um, and then Kyle does the newsletter. He'll jump on the podcast. Um, Mac Fleet is our video guy. And so he's kind of like overseeing a lot of our growth on YouTube and just producing some of the video pieces that people are putting together there. So, um, 
Yeah. And then, it, and then there's me just sort of like, it is funny because I still, you know, sometimes take it upon myself to edit my own podcast. And that's just because like, you know, I was doing it for so long and, and I, I'm also like, I'm not going to record the ad read until like, I'm finally like, at, you know, ready to hit publish. And so I leave some things to last minute. And then like, it is sort of like, this is how it all started. And like, I have my system and my way of going about things that it is sometimes hard for me to just like hand it over and then just wait for it to come back to me. And so um, there is still sort of like that emotional attachment for, for me and, and, and my show. Um, but that, you know, the frequency on that has gone up and sometimes I do have to hand it off to a producer. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, that's sort of it. Like it's not a huge team of people behind the scenes and, you know, down the road, I'd love, you know, to have the flexibility to hire some more people out. And like, I think for me, the big important part of it has definitely also been to look at, you know, the way the mix zone looks uh, in track and field where like, you know, for the longest time I looked around and I was the only person of color and the, you know, one of the youngest people there. And so I kind of also look for opportunities to try and, you know, give that opportunity to the next person, because I came into the sport, just kind of stumbling upon it, mm. um, on a Friday night while I was in college and, and deciding to finally like watch it and get involved. And there's other people there who are just more passionate about it and further along. And they're sort of like track fandom, um, that I think could do just as good of a job. And so, um, I look for those opportunities as well, because, you know, Kyle and I joke, especially getting all these calls from people to go to events and, and to these different things that it's like, well, you know, Kyle's got a baby and, and his wife, and, and I've got my life here in New York that uh, we don't have the energy to go to every single meet every single weekend. Like if, if we were doing this and we were 21 years old, maybe we would have like been able to be a little bit more freely able to travel to every single thing possible. And that's a track, you know, nuts dream. But for us, like we definitely want to be able to, at least like if we can't be there, find someone who can be there or, you know, pass that opportunity to someone else. And so um, that's also been uh, a rewarding thing for me to also, I mean, I'm, I'm 28 years old. Like I look at it and also think like there's also, there's gotta be some 21 or, or 22 year olds who are out there who really also want to get involved and, you know, the being a full-time track and field media person. I mean, there aren't, you know, too many of those opportunities out there for people. And so if, you know, on a part-time or contributor basis can lend that hand to someone like that's also part of my, my mission. If we look out 10, 15 years from now, what are the ultimate goals for Sidious Mag when it's all said and done, what will you have wished you had accomplished? What's the North star? That's interesting because I've never thought 10 years down the road, Um, but hopefully like, you know, it has continued to grow. You know, part of me has always thought like, you know, LA 2028 Olympics are going to be huge for track and field here um, in America. And so being able to do basically continue to do our thing and, and like drive the hype around track. But at that point, like, I also feel that the, there's going to be some sort of bigger player. Maybe it's like, a, especially with gam- sports gambling, possibly getting legalized uh, across the, the nation. I think by that point that some big player might want to tap into the, the track and field audience and like wants to partner with us. And so we want to kind of position ourselves to have that, that firm grip on, you know, the track and field fan from, you know, even if they're from, from high school to beyond, you know, in their fifties or sixties, like we can try and cater all our content to that wide gap. But at the same time, definitely 
keeping our eyes on that young track and field fan, because by the time LA does roll around, you know, there's just the, everyone kind of always brings up the mass participation numbers in track and field and how big they are. But then there's also this huge, massive drop-off after they are, you know, they go off to college and, and stop, you know, participating in track or they finish up their college eligibility. And then that's sort of like the end road for them. Like we want to make those fans aware that there's this whole other side to it on the professional side of things that is also entertaining and, and, it's a it, so keeping people as track fans and and that in itself, like I think a lot of the time the attention gets thrown to there's these mass, you know, participation runners like the four or five hour marathoners in these races. And like we got to kind of bridge the gap. And that's how I started off. Like I, I definitely see that there's, you know, ways of connecting, you know, the front end and the back end of the pack. But like there's already people who are in track and field on that side of the sport, too, that. That, that end up leaving. And so the goal should be also, how can we keep them? And so if we can try and grow in that sort of way and cater to that, those fans and make it interesting for them to, to stay attuned to like, if someone enters the sport now or is in the sport now and finds Trayvon Bermel to be a really cool athlete, like how can we keep that person engaged for the rest of Trayvon Bermel's like professional career? And that's sort of like, building up his personality and making him someone entertaining to follow and doing that for, you know, 20, 30, 40 different athletes to make people invested in, in, in those athletes. I think it definitely, the fan experience is very linked to, to the athlete experience. Do you think that a mainstream audience could ever be fans of running, like not just participants, but fans of the sport? You know, it's, it's, it's hard to, for me to think, because like when I was, you know, 21, 22, like I was like, yeah, we got to make track like the next big thing, like all over again. And then sort of like, I did start to get a little bit skeptical over time. And, and, you know, the, the funny thing is that like, if you watch an NBA game, I think I always draw on this comparison, an NBA game now and an NBA game in like, you know, the seventies or eighties, they're vastly different, like in terms of just like, you know, the style, the presentation, I think plays the biggest role of it. There's, you know, you go to a game and the experience that you have there is just totally different where like, there's something going on at every moment between, you know, timeouts and all that stuff that it's entertaining. It's a big show. And with track, you go to, if you went to a meet in the seventies and if you went to meet now, like they're just run in a very similar way where I think we're kind of stuck at this point where like, um, you know, there's, Like there is hope though, because uh, you know, and a lot of people are driving on this uh, this point because so many people have gotten hooked in in the last two years to Formula One, and like that's that's my big thing too. Now it's like it started off with taking pages from Simmons's playbook. Now it's been taking a lot of pages from from F1 and how they've built their drivers and their teams and and their team principles to be these personalities. And like I own a McLaren formula one sweater. And like, if you would have told me that like a year ago, like I would have been like, what are you talking about? But like, I got so hooked and now like I'm attached to a team and to these drivers and how can we do that with track? And then also because racing is racing. Like it's, it's racing with cars and it's racing with people. I know track is so different because like, it's, it's huge with like the number of 
pro athletes and different countries involved and stuff. So like if you can focus your attention and build up a subsect of it and like really get people attached to these certain athletes or these coaches or these teams, then like maybe there's a hope that they would be able to follow, you know, that athlete or that team as they take on like the diamond league circuit or something like that. So you know, the booming numbers of F1 gave me hope that like, Hey, like maybe we can do something to the degree. I don't think it'll be to that level because they've just, you know, Liberty media and the takeover that they had with F1, which just has been perfect. And obviously Netflix and the documentary series drive to survive has played like a huge role. And, you know, so I think, a lot of it is like, it's very easy to complain about, you know, the things that are wrong in the sport. And, you know, that's, that's easy for people to do. And for my sort of seat, like I, you know, in talking to Mac fleet, when we're doing some of these video projects and stuff, I'm like, you know, if people are complaining about like, oh, there should be a drive to survive for running, like, let's give it a shot. Like, it's not going to be like the, the, uh, the, the highest production thing We're you know, three, four guys who are trying to do this thing. Like maybe we produce something that's cool and captivating and it's not going to be to a Netflix type level, but it's something at least. And maybe it gets other people to, you know, we hopefully raise the bar for someone else to give it a try and do it better than us. And then that's great because then what we are complaining about finally gets out there. And so, um, that's sort of, you know, another part of it too, is like, if we can continue to raise the bar in our sort of coverage, maybe it gets other people to think a little bit more critically about, Hey, we've been doing this for so long in the same exact way. What if we have to do it differently to attract, you know, our, our audience to be a little bit more like Sidious Mag's audience. Cause we have a very loyal, awesome fan base. Um, and that's been cool to see just grow over time. And so, yeah, I mean, we got to, really focus on the personalities and the athletes and the, and the stories there to, and, and blow them up because I think that's how people get attached to it. You made a lot of excellent points there. I'll focus on one you made earlier. Uh, I actually saw a stat earlier that makes me optimistic for the growth of our sport. And it was that especially among younger demographics, team allegiance in pro sports has waned and individual athlete interest has exploded. And I wonder if that bodes well for our sport because it's so individualistic. But to your point about F1, there's such a benefit of having these co-located teams because it's easier and maybe more captivating to create content. So I don't know which way this splits, but I just think you made a lot of good points there and it made me think of those two things. Yeah, I mean, so when I just got back from a trip to, to Flagstaff and there weren't as many people around at this time of year, I kind of went in the one week where people are coming off the indoor season and not quite there yet to get ready for the outdoor season. But, you know, what one hope that we try to do is like, and again, taking pages from like the F1 playbook is like, if you see the stuff they produce on these team YouTube channels, um, it's awesome. It's hilarious. Like the, the, they're really funny videos. They're insightful. They peel back the curtain. They provide like this behind the scenes stuff where, you know, it, it really takes the driver being comfortable with the production team and like the, the team managers who are producing that kind of stuff. Like, and for us, we kind of see, it's like the athletes are fairly comfortable around us. So like, let's kick back, let's make a funny video where, you know, people are playing like what's in the box and like they are blindfolded and trying to feel around or what's in the box and like, um, and try and guess what the item is and get a funny reaction out of it. And if that funny video takes off and people are like, that was really cool. I'm going to send it to my friend or like, I'm going to, you know, all of a sudden I'm a 
such and such person fan, like a Molly Seidel fan, because the video is hilarious, then, you know, hopefully that also draws people like there's, there's a, there's an ebb and a flow to things too. I think where sometimes you want to showcase the personalities and at the other side of things, I think this is also where people sometimes are more attached to the teams and the, the car sort of in F1, where it's like, that's the perform the high performance side of things where the in track and field, like there is a way to frame these awesome record setting performances and all that stuff to the viewer. where like Elliot Kipchoge running, you know, sub two hours to the marathon is mind blowing to everyone in the world because that for them, they're able to kind of, they know what a marathon is like and they know how long it takes uh, that that is something that just blows people's minds. So now how can we sort of start to think it's like, how can we make the the triple jump world record that was just set crazy for people to 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 see and or, or to to comprehend? And so it's finding the right context for these performances where you don't want to dumb it down to the point where you're like, you know, they do it all the time on some of these broadcasts where like go down to your local track and try and run 70 seconds for, you know, lap and like that's too much to it. I think it's just sort of like it, like, I think the way Kyle has always talked about the way he writes the lap count, it's like from a college D1 runners, like reading level where they know there's a pro side of the sport, but they don't really follow it. And at the same time, they know what a good performance is, but like, this really makes the crazy awesome performances great. And at the same, like mind blowing, mind blowing to the point where like, if you're just a casual sports fan or viewer, like, you're just like, that sounds crazy. And like, you want to learn more about it because there's this subsect of these diehard track and field fans who think it's really awesome and cool. And you want to kind of be part of the cool kids club that, that understands and, and, and follows that. So that's sort of like how I also think of it too, is like, there's, there's a balance to highlighting the personalities and there's highlighting the high performance side of things. You think that the powers that be in the sport of track and field and road running, do you think that they're all in alignment about what it takes to create fans? Or do you think that they think it's important to create more fans in the sport? Mm, I don't know. Because like, I think sometimes like, if you're talking about like road race directors and stuff, like uh, mass participation is up in the sport after the pandemic. They're doing their uh, job. Where people you know, are hooked on running because it's something they rediscovered and gyms were closed. And, and so the mass participation side of things is up. That doesn't necessarily mean that like the uh, track and field fan base is also up. And I don't think that necessarily means that people are changing all too much at, you know, some of these, you know, especially in road racing, like that just means that they're getting their race registrations up and like, if you just kept the same sort of race you had before the pandemic and before 2020, like then your model is still fairly sort of successful. So like, um, I don't necessarily know if like people are all too willing to, to, to make the changes, I think, which is why, like, it feels good that sometimes, you know, we do something and it, we all of a sudden pick up on other people trying to do things a little bit differently. And like, we're like, maybe we rattle the cage a little bit to get people to change. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, like, that's, I think the most frustrating part is that sometimes the high, the, the, the governing bodies and stuff are just stuck in such old ways or doing not as great of a job, uh, when it comes to simple things, sometimes like even, live tweet like if you are 
like I'll use the example USATF and you're hosting like this road race championship, it'd be nice for you to get people to care about what that road race championship is in the lead up to it. Don't just drop a preview on if the race on Saturday on Friday at 5 p.m. Like it, 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 it's too late at that point. Someone's already made plans for their weekend and or the me, the mainstream media who would cover it at that point. It's like if you're even thinking about the newspapers, their deadline is sort of passed and, the, you know, the issues already set for the next day. And so it's it, when I, when sometimes I like watch like a main account or something like that, share a video of like this crazy, awesome performance that happened. My biggest frustration is like, where was the hype leading up to this? Like the storytelling that got, would have got people captivated because yeah. at that point, like people enjoy watching things live and it's cooler when you can say like, I was watch, I was sitting at this bar watching that triple jump world record happen. But like, if I just see the clip afterwards, it's just another sports highlight. Like, so there needs to be a better job and a better investment in the time taken to get people's attention diverted to the actual event uh, where things are happening, which is sort of like why this whole entire, you know, next six months is basically building, building, building to get people's attention to like the world championships. Because if you were just scrolling on the NBC sports Instagram in July during the world championships and you see these highlights at that point, it's too late. Like you didn't draw that fan to tune in live and watch it. So like, that's where I'm like, there's simple things, simply live tweeting the event or giving us a preview ahead. Like it doesn't take that much. And that's where sort of like, I think some of my frustration comes where it's like, and where I see Sidious Mag really living, it's like, I don't really want to get into the business of live streaming races and all that stuff. And I think it's more so like, we want to capital capitalize upon the storytelling and the hype leading up to and after an event. So we can be like the bookmarks, let, you know, the, the streaming players take care of the actual sort of broadcasting event. And we'll be the ones to like, we're okay with like diverting people's attention to, Hey, watch this thing on runner space or watch this thing on Flowtrack or NBC. Like for, we, we have like, if you think about how the other sports do it, like they're somewhat okay with telling people where things are. Track and field, I think, is so broken and like running is so broken where people are territorial and like don't want to, you know, they only care about what they have. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it, it's definitely a frustration that I think a lot of times, you know, I'm like, things are much easy to change or pretty easy to change or at least do a little bit of a better job with. It's interesting that a lot of individual athletes and groups have taken it upon themselves like you said something earlier about trying things from a content and hype standpoint and leading by example. And it reminds me, I had um, Sam Parsons on the podcast a couple months back and we talked about how his team, Tim Man Elite experimented with their YouTube channel and working in public and how first they got mocked. And then all these other athletes are like, you know, actually this, they saw the light, this, this makes sense. And also it doesn't, it's not just like a self-centered thing. It helps increase the reach of the sport. And I think that that's just one example of, um, yeah, they've almost had a hundred thousand followers on Instagram and what other, how many other track teams have that there's demand for it. There's a market for people want that behind the scenes working in public style content. Um, so anyways, no, I think you made a lot of good points there that it just reminded me of that. Uh, one more question here. If you had to speculate on the future of track and field and road running, how do you think the sport will look different a decade from now? Well, I want gambling, I think, to be a bigger part of it, for sure. Uh, 
because uh, I mean, that's always fun. Like I didn't watch a single thing of college basketball the entire season. And then all of a sudden, like I place it's it's legal here in New York now. Uh, I placed a couple bets, St. Peter's over Kentucky, and I'm rooting so hard and I'm so invested in, in St. Peter's success out of nowhere. And like, you know, I think that could lend to a whole another uh, division of possible fans. Now, I guess you can always fall into the argument is a gambler also a fan. And, uh, you know, that's always like a tricky balance to tread on, but um, at least like it's someone watching and, and, and getting, you know, excited about uh, the sport. So I see like a plus there to, to that, that side of things. And I hope that, you know, kind of starts to grow. Um, and hopefully, you know, the, the presentation of things gets better. Um, you know, I, there's some really awesome road races out there that I wish like there was, and it's, you know, sometimes I'm like, it can't be that difficult to put a camera on the lead truck and like someone with a big internet pack on their back. And like, you know, there's these Twitch streamers who go out there and stream everything they do in a day. Like it, it can't be that difficult to just get someone and point a camera and, 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 and hit, you know, start recording. Um, so, you know, I hope that the presentation of things improves, um, I hope that there's other sort of, I think in the media space that there's younger and more di diverse voices getting involved, um, to tell some of these stories. And for me, like I help oversee like this program called the magic boost, where it's like, we take 13 or last year, 16, uh, young content creators, uh, whether they're videographers, photographers, podcasters, graphic designers, and, you know, I basically teach class over Zoom for 10 weeks and we get them out to the pre-classic and I get to see them sort of like in action doing interviews and like, uh, you know, filming things. And that was really cool to see because that's sort of my part of like, oh, uh, you know, there, everyone talks about, you know, upping diversity and, um, and, and being more inclusive. And for me, that was like, I think one step I've taken to actually make things sort of happen with, you know, a team of people um, at Hayward Magic, which is another group that's involved with that project. And so um, that was, you know, that was really rewarding to see. And I, and for me personally, I hope that, you know, those magic boosters uh, go on to, you know, you know, be the big storytellers, I think, within the sport and and help improve the media coverage, because I think the media does play a big role in, you know, facilitating the growth of the sport. So, uh, yeah, those are, I think, uh, my big hopes for for the next couple of years. I'm looking at a list of like five or six topics that I still want to go down the rabbit hole with you on. Oh, so. yeah, cool. Let's keep it going for a little bit. I don't know how much you pay attention to our side of running mountain ultra trail running, but what's one piece of advice you have for the trail and ultra running media, knowing what you know about the track and field space, all the experience you've built up, how you think critically about the sport, anything, is there anything there that's transferable to us that, that could get us more exposure as well? Yeah. So, I mean, like I, again, to sort of like the point, like, I, I like, I think about, I went and I crewed at Western States, like in 2019. Oh, no way. Yeah. For my friend, Stephen Kirsch. And like, Legend. he ended up finishing, uh, seventh. Yeah. And that was one that was really cool because in something like Western States, you really can pit, you know, kind of pack things. I know there's, there's more people participating, but there are possibly like 20 mainstream big players in that. And so if you kind of did sort of like highlight a lot of those stories in the lead up to it, and like, these are all individuals. So they're like, they're pretty 
easy to, to navigate. Like for me with, with Kirsch and having interviewed Jim Walmsley before and Eric Sensman, like, I guess I would consider myself like a Coconino Cowboys fan. And so like that, that was really cool to see because, uh, in, in a way, like it's a team and there is sort of like that attachment to it. And I, I, I wonder if like, there could be more to that, like there'd be more, you know, ultra teams out there because, you know, even when, you know, something like Elliot Kipchoge and his training camp and that NN running team, like that's a professional team, I guess, of sorts, like not everyone is in the same place, but you know, there's gotta be, there might be people out in Europe who think they are all together at all times. And there's that attachment to it. So like, I wonder if the team aspect to um, to ultra running could be a little bit better, especially like with the, with the storytelling side of things like they, uh, yeah, I mean, with 20 different, if you picked 20, you know, men and 20 women, and you did a whole like drive to survive type thing for Western States or uh, Leadville or something like that, then I think it could be fascinating. And it doesn't even have to be that many people pick 10 or pick five on each side. Like, I think that could be really powerful. And, and if you document it, well, like, I went down a rabbit hole, just, you know, going through a lot of uh, ultra um, YouTube videos. And I think they do a fantastic job of like the uh, the storytelling on YouTube with that. But part of it is, you know, I know there's a challenge to like getting, you know, being able to stream everything like Western States would be sick to, to watch the entire time. If you had like a camera I'm guessing Wi-Fi and all that stuff and like internet connection might be a challenge to, to making it happen. But um, I'm sure uh, it'd be, it'd be cool because again, to that point, I think ultras have it easier when it comes to being able to blow people's minds, like the average sports fans minds. If I tell someone that Stephen Kirsch broke 16 hours in a hundred miles, they're like, Oh my God, that's crazy. Like in, like in one go, I'm like, yeah, in one go. And they're like, but then he's not even, he finished seventh. The guy who won was like 14, 20 something or whatever it was. And like, so I think like ultras have it even easier to be able to blow people's minds when you really try and simplify things to people. So capitalize upon that and i know there's going to be purists to the sport who are just like no it's like we don't want like you know just like the casual person to to but i think there is there's value to it like think about camille heron and just like how awesome how big of a following she has and um the way sometimes the mainstream sports audience gravitates toward um her story where like when she ran the 100 mile on the track uh, or the 24 hours on the track. I wrote a story for that on sports illustrated and people loved it uh, because it was just sort of like, that's crazy. Someone running on a track for 24 hours and then stopping to have Taco Bell and beer, like that's sick. And so like, um, yeah, I, I definitely think sometimes I'm like, yeah, the ultra side would be so much easier to, to cover and make these personalities like a bigger thing. If Strava existed in the seventies, eighties, nineties, early two thousands, which athlete from that era would you want to see the logs for? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, man, I guess like the easy answer would be pre, right? Because like everyone, everyone was always like, oh, he's just crushes workouts and crushes races. I'm trying to think if there would be, well, I'll actually you, probably I'll give you one while you're thinking Paula Radcliffe, the year she Paula ran Radcliffe would be 215. A good one. Yeah. But I also think like, controversial answer would probably be Alberto Salazar, just like the crazy stuff that, that he he's done. Hell yeah. I think comparing Alberto Salazar and like um, Bill Rogers, like, and just like leading up to the duel in the sun or something like that. Yeah. It's a good one. 
uh, a recent movie, TV show, or podcast that you consumed that has left a big impression on you, changed the way you think? Ooh, this is good. I won't go TV. Well, I could go TV show. I I just watch way too much trash reality TV shows. So like, um, so that might not be like a dope sick was crazy. It was on, it's on Hulu. Uh, it like really highlights the opioid crisis in America and like just how much of a problem it is. So like not sports related whatsoever. But I think that for me, like that's a big thing of mine is that so much of my day-to-day life is centered around running and, and track and sports that I'm like, you know, 7 PM after that, like, just give me the bachelor, give me survivor, like some trash reality TV so that I can just like decompress for the day. So I watched dope sick. That was, that was good. Um, uh, what else is there movie wise? I haven't been to the movies in a little bit. Uh, West side story was good. Uh, I'm big into musicals as well. So like, that's a whole nother side of me. Like, uh, I, uh, every now and then I jump on alley on the runs podcast and we just geek out on musicals. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with dope sick. I recommend it for people to watch. Last question. I always ask guests, if you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why? Ooh, uh, I think I would have to go with like the new sort of like a city's mad catchphrase that we've kind of just dubbed, which is I love track and field. And you, and maybe it should be like, I love track and field and you should too. And then just give them a link to like a website or something like that. Just because we want to hook as many fans as possible. Um, and I feel like if someone's, if you're driving on a highway and you saw like I heart track and field on a big billboard in like the I heart NY like fonts and all that stuff, you'd be like, what? And so uh, yeah, I mean, I think that might be it. I just, I love track and field. Chris, I cannot thank you enough for your time. I really enjoyed this and I just made a stupid rookie mistake of booking another meeting at the top of the hour. Otherwise I would have gone for 60. I know you're, you're time constrained too, but we'll have to do a round two at some point. I'll make Definitely. sure to link uh, magic boost and Sidious mag your other socials in the show notes. Um, anything else you want to say before we go? No, I mean, I think basically, again, to the point of like driving the hype uh, around like the world championships happening in the United States for the first time, like, I know there's, you know, ultra and trail people listening to this, but like, there's going to be some cool stuff happening, I think, especially even like with the with the marathons uh, in, in Eugene uh so yeah just tune tune in follow along i know you got so it's like really basically the summer of hayward field i've got three trips from new york to oregon this summer that i'm like those are long flights but once i get there i'm like big track nerd mode i'm going to the pre-classic to the u.s championships and to the world championships so um i suggest people tune into something because you never know what will hook uh someone to become a track fan out of nowhere so um yeah something special could happen And thanks again. That was awesome. Until next time. Thank you. Hey, folks. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed the conversation, all I ask is that you give it a share on your social media platforms and that you leave a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast. Until next time, this is The Single Track, and I am your host, Finn Melanson.